Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach, and this is the part where Randy would say, and I'm Randy, <laughs> but he's not in the room at the moment. He is uh, hes out doing some pastoral stuff right now. And so I am just filming a quick intro for this video because we have an awesome, awesome interview with a great lady named Marsha Montenegro. Um, she has so, so much knowledge um, that honestly, we didn't even get to talk about everything I wanted to talk about. So we're going to have to have her back at some point in time. But you guys are going to love this. We're going to get into that after a quick word from our sponsors. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. All right, so we are sitting here with our new friend, Marsha Montenegro. How are you doing? I'm doing great today. Thank you so much for having me as a guest on your program. Hey, I'm just glad that you like instantly responded to my email. Like That was the greatest <laughs> thing ever. I, I was just going out on a limb reaching out to you, and you just like <laughs> turned right around. I was like, oh my gosh, she emailed me back. So that was awesome. That's great. I yeah. like to respond as soon as I can to emails if I can do it because I just like to. I'm one of these people that likes to get things done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I would, and I'm happy. I'll go really pretty much on any program if mm-hmm. I can share the truth. You know, I'll. I love that. Um, I, unless I think that it might look like a really bad association. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of um, things I've turned down that because of what they supported and stood for. And I didn't know if they would edit out what I said. So I, you know, I, I prayed about it and, but almost always I, I will go on a program. So awesome. Awesome. Cool. Um, (laughs) well, um, I, I think maybe the best way to start here is you telling our listeners who you are, um, a little bit about your faith story. Does that sound good? Sure. Yes. Yes. I'll be happy to do that. Um, well, I was in what's called the new age for a good 20 years and I got into it gradually. It's usually not something people get into overnight. It's a, it's a gradual process. And of course it wasn't called the new age then, or at least I hadn't heard that term. And, uh, so I didn't, I just thought of myself as getting into, um, spiritual ideas Hmm. 
and and metaphysics. That was a, a very popular word then. Um, and I had been raised. Um, I had been exposed to some churches growing up because uh, my mother uh, had been raised Southern Baptist, um, but my father was an agnostic. So, <laughs> kind of had a mixed <laughs> a mixed uh, religious uh, influence there. Although my mother, um, although she believed in, in children going to church, was not really living a life that you would, you know, say was. Um, sorry, somebody's at my door. Thank you, thank you. Um, was not really living a life that would reflect a Christian, you know, Christian beliefs. You know, okay. I, I never saw her pray. I never saw her read the Bible. Um, she, uh, I'm sorry, they're putting mail in my door. I'm sorry. Uh, and, uh, well, it's the mail, you know, they, I have a package. I can see it sitting here. If it starts to rain, I'm going to have to get up and oh, grab it. Oh, you're good. We, you're good. Just yell at but me. Hopefully it won't. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, so, uh, anyway, I didn't really, even though I went to these churches, I didn't really get the gospel from it. I didn't understand. I knew Jesus died on the cross, but it just had no meaning for me. I mean, I just, just had no meaning at all for me. And I thought being a Christian meant you had to be good. Hmm. Um, so you had to be good to get to heaven. And so I was trying to be good. Um, and I did go to church. I went to church. I went to youth group. We, I should say we lived overseas pretty much my whole childhood. And so we went to these kind of generic churches. Um, I mean, one church was a French church, and then another church was an army Protestant church. <laughs> you know, whatever they call it. And it's, you know, kind of, yeah, it was, I don't know really, I can't assess it now because I don't remember it well enough to say what was taught or how what if there was really solid doctrine there I have no idea but Mm. I pretty much didn't get anything from it and so in high school I began to question things and I had non-Christian friends and that led me to decide that I wanted to explore other religions and so Christianity uh, was kind of put on the back burner And I pursued other, starting, you know, in college and after, I just pursued several different interests. I was interested in the paranormal. And in college, I got interested in Eastern religions. So I was reading about those when I got out of college. I was doing more reading. I was very interested in contact with the dead. Um, <laughs> I, I just really pursued these things and ended up studying astrology, um, also psychic development to develop my, you know, quote unquote, psychic powers. Um, and then I became a professional astrologer. I actually had to take a seven hour exam and I became a professional astrologer. Uh, I eventually was president of the Astrological Society and chairperson of the Astrology Board of Examiners, which prepares and grades the exam that you take in the city of Atlanta. Um, So I don't know if I'm giving too much information. I'm kind of explaining um, how, you know, what I got into, why I was interested in these things. 
because um, astrology just really intrigued me. I felt like I could I could understand people with astrology. What, you what know, you I think, saw it as. Huh? Sorry, uh, what do you think got you into like what what made you lean into this, like into the paranormal, into the supernatural? Oh well, um, I think possibly um, I had had an experience when I was eleven that was. Um, that was very um, impactful on me. Um, I had a dream um, about a little boy I had played with when I had been five years old. And we had moved away, and I had not seen him since then. Uh, And I dreamt that I was looking for him, and I was in the house, and I kept going into each room, and there would be all these children in the room, but he wouldn't be there, and I was calling his name. I don't know why I dreamt about him because, I mean, I really didn't think about him at all. But I had this very vivid dream. And then at the end of the dream, I opened a closet door and there were all these children crowded in there and they were all laughing. And I said, where is Gary? Is Gary here? And they all ran out of the room and, you know, Gary wasn't there. And I felt this very profound, um, I don't know whether maybe concern or um, sadness or something. Well, a couple of months later, I didn't tell anyone about this dream. A couple of months later, my mother told me, I was riding in the car with her, and she said, do you remember little Gary Gates? And I said, yes, I remember him. She said, well, I got a letter from so-and-so, and Gary died two months ago of leukemia. And that had been about the time I had the dream. So I, I And I remembered that, and it was very um i was like wow i did not tell my mother about this Mm. um i didn't know what she would think so i didn't say anything to anybody that had a very strong effect on me i think that um i just thought well there's a way to get knowledge beyond the normal yeah and then as i i'm not really sure as i in high school My mother actually took a course in parapsychology at the University of Maryland, which she liked about ESP and all these powers. And that kind of intrigued me. And it's hard to say exactly what really propelled me in that direction. But in college, I had two more very vivid experiences. Um, They weren't dreams, but they were very vivid, what I would call paranormal experiences. And those really convinced me to pursue that that path okay when you started you mentioned that uh, you got involved in new age how would you define new age Mm. well i'm glad you asked that question (laughs) because yeah when i ask people to define it it's people are kind of like lost and i can understand it because it's a really broad area so the way i define it is it's a network of beliefs that are rooted in three areas, um, Gnosticism, Eastern religions, and a movement called New Thought that was very, very big in the um, 18, late 1800s into the 20th century, and actually it still exists. Uh, and actually, and it's, so much of New Thought is in the church that people actually think it's Christian, and New Thought was a movement that claimed to be Christian. So... Those three areas, the New Age is rooted in those, it's a spectrum. 
So people in the new age are not involved necessarily in all three areas. You know, they might be involved in two of those three areas. They might dabble in all three. They might be really focused in one area, Mm. you know, just heavily focused on maybe the Eastern religions or maybe the Gnostic kind of views or maybe the New Thought stuff. And so you do find people that kind of may stay in one area, but you also have people who may kind of mix mix them together. Mm-hmm. So it's this huge spectrum, and that's such a vast area, you know. And the thing about the New Age is that it's very fluid and adaptable. It's not run by any one person or organization. It just kind of runs on its own steam, and it, and it picks up things along the way. It, um, you know, terminology gets used, but it will have different meanings. So people um, hear language that's familiar, but the meaning is different. For example, the me, uh, the word wellness. Okay, this is a word from the New Age. It's now very mainstream. Wellness does not mean health. Everybody thinks it means health. That's not what it means. Wellness means you are responsible for your health and for everything that happens to you health-wise. So you have to figure out why you have cancer. You have to figure out why you have migraines. What's going on with you, possibly from a past life, but usually it's more, um, it could be something in what they call the invisible body that has to be treated. It could be fears. It could be that you were thinking uh, negative things that attracted it to you. This is what wellness is about. It is not about health at all. It's actually a very dangerous, subversive idea. Wow. I refuse to use it. You know, every year my doctor tells me I have a wellness checkup. And, you know, if I'm talking to the nurse, I'll say, oh, you mean my yearly, my annual health checkup? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not want to use that word. The, I the hate word. that word. Hey, Marsha, really quick. We've got our one uh, ad that we've got to go to. we got to hear a quick word from our sponsors. And we will be right back to talk some more about uh, the new age. And uh, we'll be right back. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. All right, Marcia. Uh, sorry about cutting you off like that. I want to get right back into it. And uh, you were just talking about wellness. Um, that's okay. Yeah, I, I was kind of going off there on a rant. So. Well, I mean, no. I mean, that's the cool thing about talking about this is like it's so broad. I mean, it's I, and it's so much a part of the mainstream culture. Well, I, so I I remember first hearing your interview on cultish. Uh, what was that like two years ago, three years ago? 
I've done um, several with them, but I, yeah, some uh, at least a few were two years ago. It, it would have been yeah. the original one because it was like oh. you and then Doreen Virtue and Melissa Doherty and Stephen Bancars all like right there in a chunk. I heard all of you, and like I had <laughs> no idea about any of this, and it just blew wow. my mind that it's like wow. there's this vast problem in the world that we're just so unaware of or the, yeah. the little bits of language that have seeped into yeah. our culture and the church even it's crazy um you were it talking is. about and the new i'm sorry the new age always wants to appear um positive helpful and beneficial mm. it's very affirmative yeah. and this is one of the big appeals and the big deception of it yeah, it's it's very subjective. It's very uh, kind of. I mean, the way I always describe it is like "Do what thou wilt," which is the <laughs> motto of of Satanism. And in so many ways, it seems like that is kind of what the New Age is pushing: is this idea of, well, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, you know, just uh, right. Well, "Do what thou wilt" shall be the whole of the law. Came from Aleister Crowley, who was a ritual magician. He was not a Satanist. Well, but, and I always but, like to let people know that. But his but, motto, his little, or, you know, he probably wouldn't call it a motto, his principle for life was adopted by modern, the modern. Anton well, LaVey Satanism adopted is a that modern concept, religion. right? I don't is know it? that Anton LaVey adopted it, but other, I'm not sure that he, he may have, I'm not sure that he did, but okay. a lot of modern Satanists have, uh, you know, like you'll see it on their website. Um, Because what Aleister Crowley was saying is that your will is supreme, and if you can use your will to change reality, and that was kind of the bottom line of it. Now, I wouldn't say that New Agers would would necessarily agree with that. that Maybe that's a step too far. Maybe that's a step too far. It's yeah, it's a little too power driven. Um, I don't think um, now. People in new thought who do believe that your thoughts and, and your perception of reality affect your life might say, yeah, the way you see things matters and is going to affect things. And if you think negative things, it will come to you. But I don't know that they would say it's about your will. That's not a word, actually, I hear much in the New Age. Um, okay. I'm not saying they don't believe in thought. They do believe in following your spiritual path. They, they think that you should follow your spiritual path. But um, it's just it's just maybe, I don't know, it's a difference in emphasis. Mm. And the worldview of Aleister Crowley and Satanism is very different from the New Age. Um, in, that, in, certain, in certain respects, it's just, uh, you know, people in the New Age uh, want to be spiritual and they, they want to be, quote unquote, good. People and Satanists don't care about what's good or what society thinks is good. They believe that they should not bow to any moral law. And okay. that's part of your will being supreme. It, it's more and nihilistic, maybe. Yeah, it's okay. it's well, yeah, it's more it's more um, against any kind of rule or any authority. Gotcha. Um, that's a good. So I would think the New Age, uh, you know, they don't like spiritual authority, but I don't think that they like are trying to make a big point about it or. Right. It's just really different. It's hard for me to explain. No, no. I mean, th- th- I'm glad you cleared that up because I mean that that's part of it. I mean, I've got a ton to learn about. I meet so many people. I was I I, uh, I used to cut hair, and I was cutting a kid's hair one day, 
and uh, and he said something to the effect of, "So what do you do when you're not here?" I said, "Oh, well, I'm a I'm a I work at a church. I wasn't a pastor yet." And I said, um, "He said, oh, are you spiritual?" And I said, "Well, I'd hope so. I work at a church." And then it like <laughs> it caught my eye. I went, "Wait a minute. What do you mean when you say spiritual?" Right. And then he goes into it, and I mean, it was just I mean, it was just everything new age and so i started asking him questions just about you know well where do you find your morality from and everything and by the end of it it was like he'd hit a brick wall but he wasn't interested in moving past the brick wall <laughs> you know, like, it was it was a really eye-opening experience for me so that's when i was like i need to learn more i, I really need to learn more yeah 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 it's hard talking to new agers because they're very they're going very much on their experiences and the subjective, they don't believe in absolute truth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you're already dealing with that issue. Um, and, I mean, I used to believe that there were several levels of truth and, and several levels of, of reality. So we were in this reality, and the people in this reality had different levels of truth. So I was on this certain level of truth where... I was on this journey where new truths were unfolding. And then other people who were not on a spiritual path like me, it's very elitist in the new age. It's, it's very, there's, there's a lot of elitism. In it. <laughs> and so people like Christians are on a, a different path where <clears throat> they are more, you know, their view is more narrow because they think they have to believe certain things and they're told to believe certain things. And that's what they think that, that that's the right way. They think that's the right way to to believe and to live, but it's very very narrow because they've they're sort of in a prison. Mm. You know, they can't tell they're in a prison. They don't. They haven't come to the realization or the awakening that there's a spiritual path we're all journeying on through many lives. I mean, I was a very strong believer in reincarnation, which is another issue in the New Age that. When you talk to people who believe in this, it's, it's very hard to get make certain points with them because death is not final. Right, right. We're all just part. Was it a Brahman? Is that the 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 god that the kind of sleeping god that we're all just kind of one with? Is that that's the like the major Hindu god? Yeah, they they don't talk about him as much as some of the other gods. And not all New Agers are into the Hindu, you know, Hindu mm. stuff. So, so that's um, just another kind of. Segue from it. Yeah. Man, it's yeah. so expansive. Um, oh, it's, and then, and then some of them believe that they're just, you know, they're, um, you know, just symbolic. Okay. You know, they're symbolic. So they're just the range of views is just unbelievable. It's, it's just such a big area. Um, and so I'm, I'm sorry, before we, uh, before we cut to the break and everything, you were talking about how you got into the world of astrology and that's been, that was a big part of your life, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought it was my calling. Could you uh, kind of just walk us through what that looked like for you? Yeah. Um, I had clients and they would come to me. I also did, did long business clients, people who lived, um, in other places, send their birth data and I would record um, on a, you know, at that time it was in the um, (laughs) way back in the dark ages, it was cassette tapes. So I would record the reading on a cassette tape and mail it to them. Um, This was, you know, all in the 1980s, the whole decade of the 1980s, I was very much in the new age. 
uh, and into the very end of 1990. So I would record their reading and send it to them. So I I felt that I when I was doing a chart, I was looking at the, the uh, an astrological birth chart is a picture of the position of the planets at the time and place of birth. So um, you're interpreting that, that you're interpreting the position of those planets in many different ways. And then you give that interpretation to the client. So that's what I was doing. I was also teaching astrology. I also taught astrology. I was very, very active on the curriculum committee. We had a large astrological, active astrological society in Atlanta. And um, that, you know, I don't know. Of course, I really liked it (laughs) because, you know, there were other people there who were astrologers and we would talk and everything. Now, before I became an astrologer, it's probably important to point this out. I had taken a course called Inner Light Consciousness. And um, I I was going, I'd always been attracted in, in high school. One of my friends I had my my closest friends were non-Christians. One of them um, was a Quaker, and she was very much into pacifism. But I was very interested in the in the in the Quakers because they just sat in silence. There was no preacher, no you know. And then and then if you felt like you needed to share a message, you would say something. Um, so I was very drawn to that. I went to Quaker meetings my freshman year in college. So, when I was kind of beginning to get into the New Age, doing all this reading, and, you know, I went to a psychic, and I went to an astrologer, I went, I was going to Quaker meetings, and Quaker House was actually hosting this class called Inner Light Consciousness. They weren't teaching it, but they were hosting it. They were allowing the group to use their facility to teach it. And because Quakers are very big on the inner light, and this was called inner light consciousness, I was very attracted to it. Because the Quakers say everybody has an inner light that guides you. I mean, the authority in Quaker beliefs is not scripture. It's the inner light. It's really not Christian. I mean, a lot of Christians think Quaker Quakerism is Christian. Now, there is a branch of it that I don't know too much about that started... I don't know where it started or when, but I know it's found more in the Midwest and the West of this country. Um, And they have pastors, and supposedly they believe in the Bible. I don't know enough about them to say Mm. much. But the kind of Quakerism I was involved with is the original Quakerism that started in England and is mainly on the East. On the East Coast, that's what you find. That's the kind of Quakers' beliefs you find. Okay. So that's what I was exposed to. And so I went to these inner light consciousness meetings. And basically, this was a group that, that was headquartered in southwest Virginia. I was in Atlanta. They were headquartered in southwest Virginia. They had been founded or they were led by this Hindu guru. And they were te- basically teaching New Age principles is what it was. They taught us to meditate. They did guided visualizations um, healing by using your mind, um, uh, chanting. Uh, you know, I can't remember everything that we learned. It was, 
and and then every night every night of the class we would have this guided visualization a guided meditation from the leader our main teacher and on the very last night he said we would meet our spiritual master so uh that's what happened so during the guided visualization which is a form of hypnosis um you're introduced to your spiritual master and so i met my spiritual master and of of course this is not this is a disembodied being this is not this is not like a flesh and blood person mm. this is disembodied so this basically was my spirit guide and i know other people who met their spirit guide during during meditations and guided visualizations those kind of things will open you up to that even if you're not trying to meet um a guide you know it it will ha- it can happen spontaneously i know the story of several people where it happened spontaneously um but sometimes it's intentional and so he became my my guide and after that things like really accelerated in my spiritual life that's before i became an astrologer okay so with all that <laughs> um that that's a lot of time spent in in the new age in astrology um when did you become a christian and what led you to christ yeah i was um not looking to be a christian i was very content with my spiritual path um i saw god as an energy or force that we all came from and would go back to and this was enlightened spiritual teacher like buddha mm. i kind of i put him on the same plane as buddha i felt that buddha was for certain people and jesus was for other people and whichever one you wanted to fall that's fine but jesus didn't come here to you know die for sins or teach us about um a relationship you know with god or anything well, that was not what i thought about jesus <laughs> in other words I had rejected the Bible years ago. So, I mean, I still use the Bible. I had a Bible and I used it sometimes. I I also wrote for New Age magazines and I would quote from the Bible, but I was interpreting it with this New Age interpretation. Mm. And so, that's very common in the New Age. It's extremely common. So, that's how I was using the Bible. <clears throat> and I was not interested in Christianity. Well, um after actually the end of my year as president of the astrological society i started getting um this strange compulsion to go to a church and i didn't understand this because i didn't want to go and um <laughs> i didn't i didn't know where this was coming from and i just sort of ignored it you know i just kind of like just ignored it it was there wouldn't go away it went on for started like in april i would say it was i know it was the spring it went on through the whole summer the end of august i went to an astrological conference in oregon that was sponsored by a magazine i wrote for it's the second time i had gone there i'd gone 2 years earlier uh i came back to atlanta and um that compulsion to go to church was still there and i thought oh you know I'm just seeing you know, tired of this. So maybe I'm supposed to go to a church because of something from one of my Christian past lives. And I decided that that's how I would justify going. 
And I thought when I went into the church, maybe something would come to me about something I needed to understand or see in some way from a previous life. Hmm. So I went to this large church um, and in a denomination I was really unfamiliar with, but a mainstream denomination, more formal than the Baptist, you know, kind of background. I had mostly a kind of a Baptist background. And I sat in the back at the end of the pew because I was going to leave after about 20 minutes. I was just going to slip out quietly out the back door. (laughs) <laughs> and I would be gone, you know. I was like, I'm not sticking around for the whole thing, you know. And I had no desire for that. So the very beginning of the service, they played music. Everyone stood up. They had a procession from the back, uh, led by a young boy carrying a cross. And as he walked by me, um, this really strange thing happened. The uh, What I call full of love fell on me. And just, I mean, it, it was this, I mean, I know this sounds really corny, but it was this very powerful love that I knew was from God. And that he was telling me he loved me. Now, the, the thing is, is I knew this was from a personal God, but I didn't believe in a personal God. Hmm. So it was very confusing. I didn't know how to process this. <clears throat> but I actually stayed for the whole service. And I decided to go back the following Sunday, and I kept going there. Now, this church was a very, very, you know, open-minded church. And so I was comfortable there. And the few people I told, you know, I told them I was an astrologer um, as I got to know these people, and they were all okay with it. Or if they weren't okay, they didn't say anything. (laughs) So I felt totally comfortable there, and I thought maybe I can get some more clients here, you know. And so I kept going, and I was even in a Sunday school class, and uh, the Sunday school class was what Episcopalians believe. It was an Episcopal church. And um, I felt very free in there. I would share my New Age views, and everybody would kind of, you know, Episcopalians are very polite. They would smile and just kind of (laughs) smile politely at me like, oh, that's so interesting, you know. (laughs) So I thought I was really sharing really good information with people who needed it. Uh, this is all, you know, looking back on this now, it just really makes me laugh because God just really, I mean, I had no idea what God was doing. And and God just knows perfectly, of course, all the time what he's doing, you know. I, I just thought that I was doing something. I thought that, okay, now I'm here. I can get clients here. I can share my valuable New Age information with people. You know, I thought I was there educating people. (laughs) It's so strange to me now. And also the fact that I was going to leave the church service early and God got to me like right away, like right as soon as the service started, you know, within a couple of minutes. So I look back on that now. Um, I know that God, the Holy Spirit was was doing this, um, I was not, I did not have the Holy Spirit, but he was working on me. And I, I didn't believe that, you know, till later, till I understood better. But anyway, I just, I just kept going. And then in a very short time, I felt like God was saying he didn't like astrology. Hmm. And I uh, just ignored that. 
you know, kept doing it, just tried to ignore it. And then it became very clear to me, God wanted me to give it up. It's like, I mean, I didn't, I was not hearing voices or anything. I didn't, you know, see a message in the sky. This was always, it was like these impressions that came to me, like, you know, you have to give astrology up. You know, mm. I don't like it. You can't do this. It was so clear to me. I find I did. I gave it up. And that's so counter to like anything that would have been in your head. You know, that's exactly coming from God, right? Exactly. And that's what I tell people. I think God did this because I've shared my story many, many, many times, many places, because the Lord has given me, you know, many platforms where I could do this. And it shows that it was not me because I was not a Christian yet. I didn't really totally understand. I didn't understand why astrology was wrong because I thought I was helping people. And I gave it up. Here I am. You know, I'm, I'm on several committees at the Astrological Society. I have clients. I even have clients overseas writing me. Um, you know, I'm, I also, and I have to mention this because this plays into this part of the story. I was working part-time um, in an office where I was hired by one of my clients who wanted me to give him astrological information on the employees. Like, he would give me their birth dates, and then I would talk to him about them at, from an astrological viewpoint. Like New Age consulting. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I was. That's I mean, so now nobody else in the office knew this. Nobody else knew this. Um, yeah. He would have gotten in trouble for it because he was working. It was a state, <laughs> state-run state office. Wow. So, um, and he might have gotten in trouble anyway. But he, he yeah, I, of course, I didn't breathe a word to anybody uh, and he and I and I still won't you know I won't say his name or anything sure or the sure. department or anything um, I mean it's years and years ago he's no longer there but still yeah. so I just you know I this was wonderful because he was paying me this money I was working part-time and I was doing astrology and now I'm giving astrology up which means I, I can't have more clients and how am I going to do this job mm-hmm. that I'm getting paid for? Now, here's the timing of it. It's incredible. My boss was away on this leave of absence. When I gave astrology up, it was the night before Thanksgiving. He was on a leave of absence until after New Year's. So I couldn't go to him and tell him, I can't do this anymore because he wasn't there. And he had given me busy work to do while he was gone. I was doing actual work you know it was busy work but that's what he had given me to do so i was still working but i wasn't doing any astrology at the time and um so i couldn't tell him anything so i was just sort of in this limbo where i wasn't a christian and i wasn't an astrologer and uh i decided since i was going to church and i wasn't doing astrology i would start reading the bible I just, you know, I thought, okay, I guess I'll start reading the Bible. So I decided I'd start with Matthew because I didn't want to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament to me was like, just like, I I knew very little about the Old Testament except the stories you learn, you know, about David and Goliath and things like that. I didn't understand it at all. So I thought, I'm going to start with Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. And I started chapter 1, verse 1. I'm very. I'm a very organized person, <laughs> so sure, sure. I started like going through it. Like every night, I'd read, read a little bit, read a little bit. I was kind of reading it, and I didn't totally understand it, the meaning. Um, 
But I felt like there was something about the words that were very pure. That was the only word I could come up with. I thought, you know, the words in this book are so pure. You know, I've never read a book where the words are pure. And so that really kind of kept me reading. And then one night while I was reading, uh, this was shortly before Christmas, I was reading a passage in Matthew 8, and um, God opened my eyes while I was reading it. I, I was reading it repeatedly because it caught it caught my interest. I don't know how else to say it. <clears throat> and it was very compelling to me. It was the account of Jesus on the boat, and the storm comes, and the disciples are afraid, and they wake him up, and he rebukes the sea and the wind. Well, that I just kept rereading that, and then I finally saw who he was. I realized I realized, you know, I real I understood why. I see. I knew he died on the cross. I just never understood it. So at that moment, I understood it, That's and awesome. I just, I just understood. I just understood, and I turned my life over to him. And I, I knew right away I was a different person. I, I did. So I, I'm one of those people that does know the moment that I was saved. I know not everybody does, and I think that's okay. I don't think you have to know, right. um, but I did know. And um, I think so that I can tell this and people see that I think one of the, oh, I haven't finished yet. I'm sorry. So later I found out at this workplace, okay, my boss comes back. I tell him I can't do astrology anymore. He's very nice. He keeps me on doing busy work. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a single mother at the time. So I don't know if that played into it, but, you know, I was a single mother. Then um, this young man there who was a Christian, and I knew he was a Christian, and he kind of befriended me, but he never preached at me. He knew I did astrology, never told me it was bad. He would just ask me questions. And then I would, you know, answer him. He, he always seemed interested in my answers, so I liked talking to him because I was like, well, here's somebody who cares about what I think. So <laughs> I loved giving my opinions to people. <laughs> he was very, very nice. <laughs> he was a very low-key guy. Meanwhile, I found out, okay, in April, I'm still at that office. He comes into my office one day, and I had told him I'd become a Christian in January. Um, and he just kind of smiled. I can't remember what he said at the time, but this is April. He comes into my office, and I said, I can't believe that I'm a Christian, and a few months ago I was an astrologer. And he said, maybe somebody was praying for you. And I said, oh, I don't know anybody who would pray for me. And I'm looking at him, and he's kind of got this little smile on his face. I said, oh, wait a minute. Were you praying for me? And he said, well, my young adult fellowship at my church was praying for you. All that, all that year before, they'd been praying for me. Every other Tuesday night when they met at their church, they were praying for me. He had brought my, he had brought my name to them for prayer. And they were faithfully praying when all that stuff happened. All that compulsion to go to church, you know, going to the church, feeling God's love, giving astrology. They were all praying. They did not know any of that was going on. They had no idea. So, That's you know, awesome. I, I, I tell people this because if God gives you the desire to pray for somebody, you may not see anything changing in their life. but You have no idea what God might be doing behind the scenes. You just have no idea. I love that. And That's God, awesome. you know. Yeah, if God wants you to pray for somebody, just be faithful and pray. That's right. You know, 
And it also shows God can reach anybody. I mean, there I was in the midst of the new age. I was an astrologer. I was fairly successful at it. I mean, I wasn't rich, but I was, I had clients and I had this part-time job because I knew astrology and, you know, I felt that I was really advancing spiritually and because I was learning more and more and more, not interested in Christianity at all. So you would think, man, this person is not a good candidate, you know, to become a Christian. (laughs) Forget her. You can't write anybody off. You just can't. Right. I love that. And here you are. Now you are on the other side of that. You're a believer. Yes. And not only that, you're, you're exposing the new age in the lives of so many people that may or may not even know that it's there. Um, yes. Would you like to talk about that? I mean, I, I really think that's kind of the meat and potatoes of this. That I mean, yes, there is a, a trace of everything we just talked about and more, you know, laced even through Christianity today. And you're doing an awesome job of pointing that out to the world. Well, thank you. I am really grateful the Lord opened the doors for me to do this ministry, which I also resisted for like a year. <laughs> I was always like, no, no, <laughs> I can't it's do that. has got a little bit of that Jonah syndrome going on, right? <laughs> I, yes. Yeah, I'll go the other way. I'll take, I'll take the ship in the other direction. God will forget about me. <laughs> I mean, you know, I... Um, that's another story in itself that I won't go into, but the Lord did lead me into this full-time ministry, which I've been doing since 1998 full-time. I operate as a missionary, so I do want to mention my mission board, Fellowship International Mission. It's based in Allentown, Pennsylvania. They're a wonderful mission agency, so I can't say enough good things about them. Um, and I went to them for an interview, and they, they took me on, and so I'm supported as a missionary through them for Very my cool. work. But, you know, that's all from the Lord. And the, the people who give are giving because the Lord has led them to do that. And the churches, the churches that support me. So I'm very grateful for that. And that has enabled me to do this work. But, yeah, the, since I came out of the New Age, I have just seen the New Age grow. I mean, it has not shrunk. It's expanded mm. rapidly. You know, it really it really started expanding rapidly in the culture. Um, I would say that probably started in the 80s, but I think more forcefully in the 1990s and and beyond. I mean, now it's just, I mean, it's it's really kind of a a part, lots of the new age is part of the culture. It's in, um, and when I say new age, I mean all the aspects of it, including Eastern religions. For example, there's a very strong influence of Buddhism on psychology. And I was into, I got into, um, after my interest in Hinduism, I got into Tibetan Buddhism for about a year. And I was involved in that and reading books. And I was going to this group, this Tibetan Buddhist group, and meditating with them and listening to their teachings. And I went from that into Zen Buddhism. And that's where I, I pretty much stayed for 12 years. And I was doing Zen Buddhist meditation every day, which is called mindfulness. Well, mindfulness started getting big in this culture, really started in the 90s, but it started really getting big uh, later on. I would say after, you know, after 2010, it was really huge. It's still in a lot of, it's in schools, um, it's in um, hospitals, it's in prisons. Um, There's even quote-unquote Christian mindfulness, which is an oxymoron. 
Uh, so it's taught as a method. You know, they try to teach it as it's not as though it's not religious, and they teach it as a method to um, to be calm. Or a lot of a lot of these things that are supposed to make you calm. A lot of these techniques that involve breathing a certain way and everything are all new age. There, a lot of it is new age based on Eastern meditation uh, ideas and practices. So mindfulness is a big thing that is in the culture, and I would consider that a, an influence from the New Age. Okay. What, um, what other influences do you see on the church? Oh, the New well, Age? alternative healing is another one. That's the one that makes Christians mad at me. I, in fact, I've just had a big battle on Facebook yesterday and today be, with Christians defending something that's complete New Age pseudoscience. And they've been taken in by it. And they, they don't want to hear what I have to say. Now, this is the pro, this is what I see as one of the core problems in the church today is that for whatever reason, some Christians um, want to believe what they want to believe. And they would rather do that than know the facts or believe the truth. Right. And I see that as a real problem. That's a real problem. Uh, because they just reject they just reject the facts. They just reject them. Um, and either they're in some way saying maybe it's because I don't, I'm not really giving the facts or maybe I've been, you know, confused or deceived or maybe they, they have a better set of facts from somebody else or something like that. <laughs> anyway, it's very, it's a very difficult battle, but I've always had a hard time in this area because once alternative healing, it got big in the culture and, a lot of people mistakenly gave it credibility when it didn't have credibility because NIH, the National Institutes of Health, which is actually in the general area where I live. I live in the Washington, D.C. area, and NIH is in Maryland, in Bethesda. I know exactly where it is because I went to high school. We lived in Maryland when I was in high school, and my high school was in Bethesda. And NIH formed a committee in 1993 to study alternative healing. And I remember saying at the time, this really bothers me because this, just the fact that they're willing to have a committee to study it gives it credibility. And that's exactly what happened. And from then on, it just grew. Even though none of their studies authenticated any of these things as actually being scientific. Mm. <laughs> you know, they said, with a few of them, they said, well, this helps in this area, or this might help in this area, but it doesn't do everything that it's claimed to do and it doesn't work the way they say it works even never found any of this stuff credible it is now credible and um, i was all shocked when i ran to christians who did things like homeopathy which is i knew from the new age homeopathy is based really on an occult worldview. uh it's based on belief uh that water has memory Okay, now, in order to have memory, really, you need a mind, and water does not have a mind. Right. <laughs> just, just, water can't remember anything. Is this, <laughs> is this the idea the of, like, is this, like, where people, like, will talk to their plants and give them, like, positive affirmations, like that sort of concept? Um, no, that's something else. Okay. That, that's, that, but that is kind, that is a kind of a um, mixture of, I don't know, new thought and pseudoscience. Okay. Um, but, yeah, and there's a lot of these things that are kind of mixtures that, yeah, that yeah. kind of come from the New Age but also involve other things. I don't really know how that, that idea started. It may have started with that Japanese guy who 
taught that, that water, you could talk to water and water would do certain things. And he supposedly, I think his name was Emoto or something. And he supposedly did all these studies that were later debunked. Hmm. His, his, his quote unquote studies didn't prove anything that he claimed. And he was completely, I mean, scientifically, he's considered a complete quack. But some of his ideas got into the culture and, and, and into the church. And all those ideas in the culture, have almost all of them have seeped into the church. So you have these alternative healing got into the church. And what comes along with alternative healing is an anti, anti-science, anti-medicine, anti-objective truth attitude that I saw and experienced in the New Age. I mean, I worked in a New Age food co-op, and I shopped there. I'm very familiar with the thinking and with the products. And so I was very shocked to find this in the church, the same attitudes, the same products that have no merit at all, uh, practices that are actually based on the occult. Um, I mentioned homeopathy and other ones, applied kinesiology. A lot of chiropractors do this. Um, like Reiki Naturopathy. Huh? Is that like Reiki healing or different? No, applied kinesiology is when you hold, um, now this, you can do it many different ways, but it, it has to do with belief in the intelligence of the body, wisdom the body that if I hold, if I'm not sure whether I should take this vitamin or this vitamin, I hold this vitamin in my arm and then somebody ho- pushes down on my arm. You've never heard of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is. Yeah, and then it depends on your resistance as to whether you should take that or not. Okay. And they might do it with another one. Uh, I mean, this is, there, I could go on and on with these practices. There's so many of them. There's machines that supposedly diagnose you by using your electromag- electromagnetic energy around your body. This is just pseudoscience. A woman just messaged me today because asking me about that because she had taken her daughter to a herbalist. Uh, and the herbalist supposedly diagnosed her, it was her daughter or son, I can't remember, with this machine that read, quote unquote read her child's electromagnetic energy and told the herbalist, who's not a doctor, of course, what allergies her child had and what oh. she should take. And she asked me, did I, is that, is that credible or is that completely wrong? And I said, that's completely wrong i said it is it is new age it's occultic thinking about the energy field of the body mixed with pseudoscience i said that machine can't couldn't tell her anything about your child (laughs) nothing zilch this but but see when i try to explain this to people some people want to know the facts and other people are like they just don't want to hear it because if they've used it and they think they benefited from it they don't want to know anything else they don't want to know anything negative and they don't understand and this is of course my own belief and no one has to accept this but i think in the area of healing i think there can be a demonic element uh because um I, i i derive this principle from scripture because uh well from two areas in scripture deuteronomy 13 um, God is is warning people about the false prophets, and he said, if they come to you with dreams and prophecies that come true, but urge you to follow other gods, then mm-hmm. don't listen to them. So right there, he's saying that their prophecies and dreams might come true. Okay, mm-hmm. 
So because somebody does something that seems to work or seems true doesn't mean that you need to do that or you should listen to that person. Right. Then the other principle is where Jesus goes to the temple. I believe this is in Luke, and I always forget the chapter. And the woman is bent double. Hmm. And um, he says, you know, uh, I, I can't remember if she asked him for healing or he just goes up to her. I can't remember. But, you know, he says, uh, Satan has bound you all, I think he says 18 years or something. So I guess she's like crippled and hunched over. And he says, Satan has done this to you. But he, but she's not possessed. He does not cast a demon out. He heals her. Hmm. He immediately heals her. And then the Pharisees get out, get on his case because it's. I think it's the Sabbath. So they're like, well, why are you, you know, and it becomes an issue about that. But the fact that, okay, he says Satan has done this to you and then he heals her shows me that it's possible Satan can inflict us with an illness and maybe he can take it away to make it look like you're healed when you go to these healers. I, I truly believe that. I can't say I'm right. That's just my belief. Sure. Um. And I think a lot of people feel better because of other factors like the placebo factor or because they're um, doing other things that are helping them or just because of the self-limiting nature of the illness. You know, if you get a cold or the flu, eventually you'll get better. Right. You know, 99% of the time you're going to get better. You're not going to get sicker and you're not going to die. I mean, yeah, some people die from the flu because of other factors. But generally speaking, almost any illness you get, unless it's terminal, or chronic is going to go away. And so people do things and they think that that's what made them better. Mm-hmm. But they might have gotten better anyway. This is how a lot of this stuff works. It's, you know, Satan is a con artist and he's very clever. He's very clever. He knows what people want, they want healing. Uh, and so here are some methods. That you know, you should try this, and these are ba- and these are things that are based on occult and New Age beliefs. A lot of them come from Taoism in China. Like acupuncture is based on belief in qi. The key in the body is blocked, and because it's blocked, that's giving you pain or illness. And we have to unblock it with the needles. That's what the needles are for, and they don't correspond necessarily to where you're sick or where you have pain. It's based on an acupuncture chart and belief in the um, invisible meridians, which are the channels they believe the chi flows through in the body. Mm. And they think they're unblocking the chi from those channels. This is not, this is not There's science. There's so this, much to this. This is, this is Taoism. This is Taoism. Right. But I think most insurance companies will pay you to have, if you have acupuncture, I think they reimburse you. I don't know. but right. Yeah, I think they do. Um, so I mean, I'm just giving you a few examples. That's alternative healing. That's just one area. There are other areas. I mentioned mindfulness. One, I don't one know if I'd, we have time the, the ones <laughs> that I'd really be curious to hear uh, your thoughts on are like the Enneagram. I see a lot of the Enneagram in Christianity. Today. Yeah, that's another. That's a big one right now. That was one that I heard you speak on originally, and it just blew my mind. And then maybe you know, like Christian yoga in there. Like, yeah, how, that's how another that, one. I see a lot of that. Um, what are what are your thoughts on those two things? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, the yoga, I'll, I'll um, say first. Yes, that has become um, almost. I mean, it used to be very unusual to hear about Christians doing yoga. That's become 
almost the norm. I mean, they even have it in Christian schools, you know. So I think people think that you can just see it as an exercise. Mm. But yoga actually is not an exercise. It was never designed as an exercise. It's And, and when we say yoga, we're talking about a f- one particular form of yoga because there's several kinds. This is hatha yoga. It's the kind where you get into certain positions called asanas. And that's the kind we're most familiar with here in this in this country. And what most Christians think of when you say yoga. So, But these positions, hatha yoga is really a way to discipline the body so that you can do the more advanced forms of meditation. Okay. And it's it's and also it's based on a belief in different energies in the body, some of them connected to Hindu gods, that you are you're kind of assisting these energies or getting these energies to flow a certain way that's going to enhance your spiritual path. So it's very complex. Um, anybody you know, I've, I've been reading this book called The Roots of Yoga. It's a very long, it's like 500, over 500 pages. It's written by two scholars, uh, two secular scholars, but who are advocates of, of yoga. And they're also scholars on the history of yoga. And the whole book uh, is like they have excerpts from ancient, going back over 2,000 years, documents. Uh, when Hatha Yoga began and talking about what the beliefs were behind it and why the different positions, how some of the different positions came about. And these all had to do with these kind of animistic occult beliefs and beliefs about gods um, and gods in the body, like they reside in certain parts of your body. Hmm. Uh, And some of the positions actually do honor Hindu gods. Like salutations or... Yeah, Yeah, the sun salutation and others, the cobra and things like that. And so... You know, maybe in your mind, you're just doing this position as an exercise or you've rejected the view that it's connected to this God, but that was what the position was designed for. And so my, my question to, to Christians who do yoga is, can't you find another form of exercise? Why does it have to be, is yoga the only exercise in the world? Why do you have to do yoga? It's because it's trendy. Christians like things that are trendy. You know, this is very worldly. Hmm. And and you can do other things for your body that are not yoga, that are not spiritual. I think that, uh, you know, when God says, you know, your body belongs, you know, your body belongs to the Lord and honor the Lord with your body. I just, if somebody knows what yoga is and that these positions honor Hindu gods, I don't know how a Christian in good conscience can do them. I just I, I don't understand it. I, I would have a question for you, um, just on like say uh, Christian yoga, and then on like the Enneagram. Um, like, how do you think First Corinthians eight fits into that, uh, where he's talking about um, food sacrificed to another god or to an idol? Mm-hmm. And to us, we know that they're just idols, but to mm-hmm. somebody else that can't make that distinction. Um, it might actually defile their spirits because to them you're doing something wrong by eating it. So maybe don't eat it in their presence kind of thing. Um, right. do you, is this similar to that or do you see it as different from that sort of thing? Um, I see it differently because eating the food <clears throat> sacrificed to idols, the food itself is neutral. 
Right. Food doesn't really change when you sacrifice it to a, 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 a false god. The food is still the same, uh, you know. So when you're eating it, you're just eating food. Now, the fact it's been sacrificed to the idol bothered some of the Gentile Christians who had mm-hmm. once worshipped those gods. And so in that case, it's a principle of conscience mm-hmm. for them. It bothered their conscience to eat that food. And you as um, a Christian, let's say it doesn't bother you, but you might make your brother stumble, okay? But to me, that revolves around uh, the actual product itself was neutral, whereas I don't think yoga is spiritually or the Enneagram are spiritually neutral. Okay. Um, They're both spiritual. They both came from um, spiritual belief systems, and they were both designed with spiritual purposes, so they can't be used neutrally. Could you explain the Enneagram but, to us or its roots? Yeah, sure. The, the Enneagram is a nine-pointed um, geometric figure that actually the way that it's, that, it, that it's used now and what we call the Enneagram now um, and the way it's drawn, which is a particular way, first appeared in 1916 uh, from George Gurdjieff, who was a, um, I think he was he was either Russian-Armenian or Greek-Armenian, <clears throat> and he was like the spiritual seeker guy. He was, you know, kind of an early New Ager, <laughs> and he supposedly went around and learned from different teachers, and then he came up with this figure that, I, I don't think he called it an Enneagram, I think he called it an Enneagong, although I'm not sure, and he claimed that you could put the whole universe in this. It explained everything in the universe. And he would use these mathematical things to play around with it. He said, he talked about the law of three and the law of seven. This is all very esoteric stuff where, you know, there's all this meaning hidden in uh, this figure and in these mathematical connections. They all have this hidden meaning. Well, this is all, this is what you call the occult. Um, and, and he taught that we're all asleep and we have to awaken to what he called the new man, which is like your higher self or your true self. And so he used the tool that way. It also, he felt that the Enneagram um, showed the movement of the universe. That the uni- there's these certain movements of energy in the universe, and you could see that in the Enneagram. So that, that was pretty much what it was for. And that went on for a while. I mean, his student Uspensky wrote um, several books and included the teachings of Gurdjieff on the Enneagram in his books. Uh, both Uspensky and Gurdjieff died in the late 1940s. And the only people at that time using the Enneagram were followers of Gurdjieff and Uspensky. And they weren't using it for personality. They were using it in a spiritual manner. Uh, then... You know, there's kind of this time period there where there's not much going on with it. And then suddenly in the 1960s, this man named Oscar Ichazo, who's a teacher in Chile, although he was Bolivian, comes across the Enneagram and he starts teaching it in his school, which was an occult school in Arica, Chile. And he teaches that the nine points represent what he called ego fixations. He took seven deadly sins and he added two so that there would be nine so it would fit the the Enneagram chart and he taught that that you were attached to one of these fixations 
and that that was a false personality that was hiding the true essence because beneath everybody's outward personality is a true essence. And this true essence um, is pure and untouched. It's basically divine. And so you have to dismantle the false personality or the false ego and find this true essence. Now, this is a very common. It's very Gnostic, belief. isn't it? Like it's very of, Gnostic. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. In fact, my first article, which I wrote on the Enneagram, which I wrote in 2011, is called "The Enneagram GPS: The Gnostic Path to the Self," and that's before 99.9 percent of evangelical Christians had any idea what the Enneagram was. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm saying what it is right there in 2011. <laughs> Unfortunately, that didn't have much impact because. You know, I mean, who knew about my article? But anyway, I, I put it out there. So um, then he had a student named Naranjo. Claudio Naranjo was a spiritual seeker. He was a psychiatrist, but his specialty was studying the effects of psychedelic drugs on the brain. And he himself partook of these drugs in which he felt he would have spiritual trips. This is like anybody who remembers the 1960s knows what I'm talking about because that's what was going on in the sure. 60s. You would take mescaline or LSD, and for many people, not everybody, then you could go on a spiritual trip. You know, and I even came, this was still going on in the 80s. Um, so this idea of taking drugs for a spiritual purpose was something that he believed in. And Ichazo also, also I should mention Ichazo, um, had contact with spirits. He did spirit contact. Um, I could go into more detail, but I'll just leave it at that. Was this Naranjo the automatic writing? Well, is the one who talked about automatic writing, not okay. Ichazo. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, but but Naranjo had what he called higher authorities, which were his spirit guides. And so, this doesn't surprise me, considering what he was into. He was basically kind of like an early New Ager, Naranjo was. Ichazo was like an occult Gnostic teacher. Naranjo was like an early New Ager. Hmm. And Naranjo started teaching the Enneagram at this place in California called Esalen, which was a very edgy, edgy place where um, I probably, you know, I probably remember this more than you guys do. I, I, I mean, you're young, I can tell. <laughs> you're really young. You're a little bit older. No, no offense. But <laughs> you do look a little bit older. I don't know how old you are, but Esalen was this very edgy, edgy place in the 70s, um, and it still exists. It's very new agey, and uh, Naranjo was there teaching the Enneagram, and it went from there uh, via two people, uh, Helen Palmer, who was a psychic, took it to the new age, and Bob Oakes was a Jesuit, took it to a seminary in Chicago and taught it to some Catholics priests or students for priesthood there um one of the people and i don't know i'm not saying he learned it from bob oaks but one of the people who learned it there was richard Rohr, who mm. becomes a key figure in how the enneagram got into the church now isn't richard so Rohr the point, one point way back huh uh, i was gonna ask is, is richard Rohr? he he's kind of who pressed this whole idea that it had christian origins right yes the enneagram had christian origins Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. And he, um, I'm getting really slouched down here. I'm getting really comfortable, <laughs> which is <laughs> good. But okay, sorry, I'm moving around here with you're my, good, you're good. my laptop. Um, so, 
So Richard Rohr, yes, then gets into it and writes a book with Andreas Ebert. Meanwhile, it's kind of trickling around the Catholic Church, but the Roman Catholic Church never endorsed the Enneagram. And the first people to warn about it were Roman Catholics. Hmm. They were the first people to sound a warning on the Enneagram once the real facts of it were discovered. So um, Richard Rohr gets hold of it. He writes his book. But, you know, the first edition of his book, he said that the Enneagram did not have Christian origins. Hmm. It had no Christian origins. Then in the later edition, he said that it, it probably did and gave these ideas about it going back to the Vagrus Ponticus, who's a 4th century monk, or the Desert Mothers and Fathers. And that idea just really, that that's still there a lot. I mean, I have people today telling me, but this was started, this was started by Christians. Christians use this. <laughs> it's like, no, no, they didn't even have the concept of personality then because what it's become in the church and this, and even Richard Rohr would say it's not a personality test because he has a whole different view, his perennial view, which I haven't explained. But in the church, it's become supposedly this thing about your personality and your sin patterns. Mm. So you go to the Enneagram to understand your sin pattern. Well, you know, I know what my sin patterns are. And I know there's, I know why they're sins because the Bible, it's pretty clear in the Bible. <laughs> The Bible's very clear how a Christian should should live. This is what the letters from Paul are about, um, and 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 you know Peter and John, uh, letters like Colossians and Ephesians and First, Second, and Third John. You know, this is First Peter. This, I mean, this is what this tells Christians how we are to live as a Christian in this world. So, anyway, the Enneagram's becoming a substitute for Scripture and for the Holy Spirit. That's how I see it. I've been seeing it that way for at least more than two years. You know what? The other day I just found out because somebody made this comment. There are now about 90 Enneagram titles of Christian evangelical books. 90. Wow. And it started with one in 2016. And that first book, The Road Back to You, written by Suzanne Stabile and Ian Cron, which is still probably the most popular Enneagram book in the church, both of those authors are associates of Richard Rohr. Suzanne Stabile was mentored by Richard Rohr for many years. Now, let me quickly say why that's a problem. Richard Rohr has a belief system uh, called the perennial wisdom. He believes that all religions come from the same core truth. They all go back to that truth. So you can find truth in any religion. And you can get on a spiritual path by going inward and doing contemplative practices so that you can discover the true self. The true self has never been separated from God. It has always been with God. This the is a Christ. view of perennial wisdom. Huh? It's, it's his view of the Christ. Well, no, 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 it's not. Well, not exactly. I need to say something about Christ, too. That's It's a little separate, but... It's the true self. I don't think he'd say the true self is Christ. I, I don't know. He's never said that. Your true self has always been with God. He, does, he is a panentheist, so he believes mm. that. Um, he actually believes the first incarnation of Christ was creation. And okay. he did a radio program where he said the universe is the material, the material body of Christ. 
So out there, I mean, that's what he actually believes. Yeah. So it's, it's so, this is not Christianity at all. It's not even, doesn't even resemble Christianity. But this is the guy Um, whose word we're taking to believe that it is Christian. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I have heard, I have heard pastors in the church recommend Richard Rohr. Yeah. No. I've heard that myself with my own ears. It is, and this is a few years ago. Um, so anyway, let me quickly say something about oh, oh, a couple good. more things about Roy's view of Jesus because this is important for people to know. He makes the distinction between Jesus and the universal Christ. So here's a here's a major heresy: Jesus and the universal Christ were one and the same until the resurrection, and then the universal Christ went out into creation, and now is this power pulling everything towards the point of perfection. That's the universal Christ. Jesus is kind of is secondary. And he said Jesus is holding the kite. And the kite is the universal Christ. And Jesus is on the ground holding the kite. So this this is this is such a major heresy. And I've even said this to people who like war and their response either they agree with him or they don't believe me. I mean, this is how this is how bad it is. It's so bad. So, you know, they're like, "Well, you're wrong." Or doesn't believe that. Well, yes, he does. I read the Universal Christ. I have an article um, on my website on three of Richard Rohr's books, including the Universal Christ. And I have been tracking him since 2013, which means I have I've listened to hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of interviews and talks that Richard Rohr has done. Yeah. I can't even begin to tell you how many hours, but since 2013, I have been tracking him. And then I've read those three books. So I am not, I can't even say I know everything he's, he, you know, because I don't have enough time sure. to devote myself to Richard Rohr. I have other things I need to do. Right, right, but right. I feel like I know enough that I can really give a solid warning on on him. And I started doing that in 2013 because he did a interview on the, he call, used to call the Universal Christ the cosmic Christ, because that is what Teilhard de Chardin taught. Now, Teilhard de Chardin was a Roman Catholic paleontologist who wanted to reconcile evolution with the Catholic faith. That was his goal. And he taught about the cosmic Christ in creation that was working as an evolutionary spirit, you know, making everything evolve. And yeah. And that's, that's, I don't know a lot about Tahir de Chardin. That's about all I know. And I know that the Catholic Church put out warnings on him and said not to read his material. But I think they stopped short of calling him a heretic. Mm. Um, however, apparently Richard Rohr got those ideas from Tahir de Chardin. And he actually huh. had, refers to Tahir de Chardin from time to time. So, you know, he doesn't try to hide it. Wow. Richard Rohr doesn't try to hide his views. I am so open. befuddled about how how pastors can recommend him. I'm like, you know, don't you have five minutes to go Google the guy and right. see what he believes? He's very he's very open. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I I totally get it, it and it's been something that's kind of weighed heavy on my conscience as well. Um, the thing is, I, I know there's a lot of like well-meaning Christians out there that don't realize, you know, what they're kind of dabbling with when they get into this. Yeah. Stuff. But I'm really glad that you can, you know, shed some light on that for us and 
and talk about this. Uh, Marsha, I do think we're going to have to come to a close. We got vacation okay. Bible school on our end of things. That's why I'm sporting this awesome T-shirt right now. Uh, okay. But, uh, yeah, i got to get wrapped up for that. But thank you so much okay. for, for coming on. And Absolutely. We, I'd love to have you back on and, and talk some more about some other epi- uh, aspects of this. Oh, yeah. In the future def- as well. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more I could talk about. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, you're a wealth of knowledge. And I love that. Um, I do want to mention our book, Richard Warren, The Enneagram Secret, because um, we have all this information about the Enneagram in there. So I, one, I just one more want name, to mention One more time on that title. There. Richard Rohr and The Enneagram Secret. See, we put Richard Rohr in the title gotcha. because he's such a key figure. Sure. And yeah, I, well, I want to add real quickly, the Enneagram has no psychological validity at all. So just so people know that. Okay. It's invalid. And you've mentioned your uh, website. What What is your website, please? Oh, yes. Yeah, thank you. It's ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org. Christian Answers for the New Age. I have lots of articles on there. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you, Marcia, for hanging out with us. Uh, for all of you tuning in at home, uh, thank you so much. If you've got questions for us, you can send those to questions at becomehope.com or salty saints at becomehope.com. And until next time, stay salty. Hey guys, before I let you go, I got one more thing I want to say. I know I said stay salty and that means we're done, uh, but I do have one last little little thing to do. Uh, I want to give a big thank you to our friends at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Um, you guys should go check them out at lifeaudio.com. They have dozens of faith-centered podcasts about uh, prayer and Bible study and parenting, all sorts of things. So get over there, check them out, and uh, I'm sure they'll have something that you would like to listen to over there. And uh, until next time, stay salty. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hard-working pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com.